Thanks, guys. Good morning. How's everybody? Glad to have you here in person. I know we got some people in, on Zoom today, so hello to them as well. Man, last week um, was particularly special for me. Um, we had uh, a lot of testimony last week, which I love. Um, it presented a challenge for me. I, I was joking with some people after the service. I cut a 40-minute sermon down to 20 minutes, uh, which is, uh, uh, for me, <laughs> challenging to do it on the fly. But it was, uh, it was good for me. We had so many great testimonies. And kind of my plan as part of the message was to, to wave your banners, if you will, to, to kind of point out, because there's a lot that happens that we talk about and we, we see regularly. We talk a lot about what's happening on Wednesday nights, pretty regular. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that we may not ever know about unless somebody tells you what's happening. And, and so that was kind of my intent last week was to just kind of to literally go through each person in the congregation and talk about the ministry that God has you guys involved in. But a lot of that happened during the testimony time. Enough, in fact, that we wouldn't have had time for me to work through that list. Uh, and so if you'd like to know what I wrote about you, Feel free to come and, and ask me, and, and I'll share that with you. Um, but, but here's the point that I want to make this morning as we kind of get started is, I hope that you are seeing what I'm seeing. Because what I see when I look at each one of you guys is an active relationship with the Lord, where you guys are walking in obedience and getting to see the, the fruit of His work in your life. And that is incredibly special, and it's something that is um, rare, to say the least, in, in most of our lives. I, I know that for most of my life, my understanding of what it meant to be a believer was just, um, you know, going about my daily activities and then just talking to God about it every now and then. And what I've learned over the last decade probably is it's so much more significant when we are walking with the Lord and letting Him determine our activities. And that's the fruit that I'm seeing in, in you guys' lives. So today in our passage, we're going to see the author reminding the church of this gift, the one that I'm describing, this gift that the Holy Spirit um, imparts on us when we receive, when we believe that Jesus is Savior, and then we receive Him in our heart. In last week's verse, the author uh, tells the church to be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. And I didn't really get to dive in last week into what he meant by that, these promises. But he breaks it down for us in the next sessions, section. So today, let's, let's read together. We're going to learn about um, the anchor that we have in hope today. And so let's look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, and then we'll, we'll kind of break it down. So starting in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through un two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the intersanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he's become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
So in, in reading this passage today, if you, sit, if you take a minute and you kind of step back and you look at it, you're going to see that there are three sections that kind of pop out. And so the first two really are just supporting the last one. And we're going to kind of walk through those three today. But the main emphasis that we're going to talk about today is the last one. We're going to look at the promises of God. We're going to look at the fact that God is unchanging and that the hope that comes through his fulfillment of the promise. That is where we're going we're gonna to land today is talking about the fulfillment of that promise. But let's start with the first one, and that is the promises of God. Look at verse 13 through 15 with me a minute, because I want to kind of put some brackets around each of these sections. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will bless you, I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. So I want to point two things out about this, this section. First, I'm saying the promises of God because the point that the author that, of Hebrews is trying to make to the church is that God makes promises to each of us throughout our lives, and he is going to be faithful to fulfill those. And he's just using this one promise in Abraham's life to multiply his family, to illustrate his point. Secondly, we don't know a lot about the author, but in reading this, you can see, or at least to me, it, it appears that he's quite sarcastic because he said that Abraham waited patiently. And if you'll think about Abraham's story and specifically the things he did with Sarah, I would not describe that as patient, right? Remember, he kind of tried to jump the gun and circumvent what God was doing. So I had to go back and look at that word patiently. What does that mean? What is the author trying to communicate? And that, that word can also be translated as endurance or long-suffering. And then I go, oh, okay, now this makes some sense. So with that in mind, we see the author using Abraham's story to tell the church that the duration between God's promise and the fulfillment of that promise does not change the fact that it's a promise. And that's significant for people to understand, for you and I to understand. It's also worth noting that when God does do what he said he's going to do, it might look different than what we expected. Because I'll, I'll be honest, if I put myself in Abraham's place, and God says, I'm going to bless you, you're going to have descendants, it's more than the stars in the sky. I'm thinking, I'm fixing to have a whole lot of babies, right? That's where my mind goes. And you guys know me, I'm cool with that, let's go, Okay. But that's not exactly what happened. It was, Abraham was over 100 years old when they had Isaac. And then later Sarah dies and he remarries and he has some more children. But I, I want us to realize that God gave Abraham a son, but it took a lot longer than Abraham wanted. Isaac, uh, excuse me, while Abraham had other children, God's chosen people, the Israelites, came through that one promised son. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau, you know, Isaac that Moses nearly killed on the altar following God's guidance. Isaac becomes the father of Jacob and Esau. We remember the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob steals the inheritance from Esau. And then Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And so out of Abraham's lineage comes the, the 12 tribes of Israel. But I, I would venture to say that when God originally told Abraham, you'll have many sons, many sons will have Father Abraham. <laughs> I have to, my brain goes there, I have to say it out loud. I have to, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, I have to think that when Abraham heard that, in his mind, there was a very clear picture of what that would look like. 
But what Abraham may have pictured, or what I, if I put myself in that story, what I would have pictured when God spoke that was very different from what God intended to do. And so then we know that, that God brings Isaac, this promised son, and God says, sacrifice him to me. And we've kind of talked through that before. I don't want to rehash that, but I will just say I can't imagine what that would even begin to feel like. But God asked Abraham to do that, to prove his faithfulness by giving up what was most dear to him. And we've talked about before how often when God asks you to do something, it's not because God intends for you to do it. He just wants to know if you'll say yes. And that's what he's doing in, in Abraham. And to, to prove that point, look at Genesis twenty two twelve with me, because I don't want you to think I'm just making this up. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. And we know that that's foreshadowing to what Jesus is ultimately going to do. But it's significant for us to see that God asked Abraham to do something that's incredibly difficult. That was outside the scope of what Abraham could even have imagined. And remember that to fear God, we talked about this when we were going through Ecclesiastes. That to, when the Bible says that we need to fear the Lord, it means live in right relationship with him. And so God is asking Abraham to prove that he is in right relationship with him. God wanted to be sure that Abraham really knew him. And Abraham knew God to this level because he had all these previous experiences of God's faithfulness. And it, even when he and Sarah messed up and went outside the scope of what God was asking him to do, that God still loved him and God still kept his promise. God's fulfillment of his promise wasn't wasn't based on Abraham and Sarah's actions. It was based on their faith. Abraham did know God because of his long-suffering, right? Because of his endurance of waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And he also knew, because of that experience, that God did not change. That's point number two today. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purposes even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. That we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that sets before us. Abraham learned that God does not change by his experience that he had with God. That informed his belief. The author's using the example of Abraham's life to draw our attention back to the original point of the high priesthood of Jesus. Remember we talked about that all in chapter 5. Jesus, he's the, the author of Hebrews, is making this broad statement, this big statement that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. That he's fulfilling that role in all of our lives. And these two unchangeable things that the author is pointing to are the things, are, are Jesus' high priesthood and, so that's one, and the second is that he's also in the line of Melchizedek. The author referenced this passage in Psalms in chapter 5, and he, he's bringing us back to that again when he's making the case that Jesus is the high priest. It's Psalm 110 verse 4. said, the Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So God is making this proclamation about his son that he will be the high priest and that he'll be in the order of Melchizedek. And we're going to talk in depth about Melchizedek next week. So we'll kind of bring some of these things together. But he's reminding the church that in spite of their current suffering, God keeps his word. Remember what they were suffering through. 
There was this temptation to renounce their belief in Jesus, to go back to the families that they had lost, to go back to the traditions that they were missing. And the author is making the case that I know that it's tempting to go back to what you previously knew. But remember, God made these promises about his son. And this is a message that we all need to hear. That God, when he speaks a word, even though it may take hundreds of years, God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Abraham and Sarah suffered and endured years of being barren, but held on to the promise that not only would they have a child, but they would have many children. God didn't promise them just a child and a small family, but the largest family that's ever been. And he delivered on that promise. And just like God didn't forsake Abraham and Sarah, like he didn't forget about the promise that he made for them, God has not forgotten about the church. That as they sat there suffering, day in and day out, missing their loved ones, being cast aside, struggling through life, God is saying, I remember you, I see you, and my promise still stands. The son that I have promised, the high priest that you, your heart longs for, has been fulfilled through the person of Jesus. This argument that the author is making is to remind them that not only did God promise that Jesus would be the high priest, but he also swore it by his own name. And that's significant. Think about what that means for just a minute. When somebody testifies in court, how does that begin? They put their hand on a what? On a Bible. And they say something to this effect, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. When we swear an oath, we are swearing to something that's bigger than we are. When we put our hand on that Bible, we are saying, in essence, that if what I say is untrue, then neither is the thing in which I swear by. And there's nothing greater. So we have to do that to something that's bigger than us. And when that is done, when someone swears on the Bible or on God, they are saying that what I am telling you is going to be the absolute truth. And we have to do that on something that's bigger than we are. But there's nothing that big, that's bigger than God. And so he swore by his own name. And so he makes a promise and he swears an oath to the people of Israel. The author brings this out to remind the church that God cannot lie and he swore an oath by his own name that his son would be a priest forever in the lineage of Melchizedek. And then verse 18, he said, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. So what is this hope? This brings us down to the last point. What is this hope that he keeps bringing us back to? What's the point he's trying to make? Because everything up until this point has just been supporting information about this idea of hope. And it's that hope is the anchor. Look at verse 19 through 20. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember back to our discussions on the temple. And in this passage, when he's talking about the fact that Jesus entered on our behalf, that he went into the sanctuary behind the curtain, he's referencing the Holy of Holies. And remember that only one priest, the high priest, was allowed to go into that area and only once a year. And when he entered that area, he had to make atonement for his own sin and for the sins of Israel. And without that atoning work, Israel would be separated from God. They were already physically separated. Because God was in the Holy of Holies. They couldn't approach God in the way that we can. 
So this is difficult often for us to wrap our brains around because as believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he speaks to us and we know his voice. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and the sheep know his voice. And we're the sheep and he's the shepherd. And so when the Lord speaks to us, and that's what we testify about here every week, is the thing that the Lord has been doing in our lives, that he's making these promises and then he's fulfilling them. And I, I asked Bethany to share today because that's the fulfillment of a promise. We have been praying for that for so long and God did it on a night when we didn't expect it. And not with the people that we expected. But God fulfilled the promise. And that's what the author of Hebrews is pointing the people back to. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year to make atonement for his sins and for the people's sins. But Jesus has done that. And this, the fact that he's done that, that he did it once and that was enough, he did it once for all, is so remarkable. It changed everything for those people. It changes everything for us. I want you to think for a moment about the times that God has spoken directly to you. Just take a moment and think about something significant that the Lord has done in your life where he said, I want you to do this. And he said it to you. And now consider that this would never have been possible if it were not for Jesus. That the way in which we relate to the Lord through the Holy Spirit would never have been possible if Jesus would not have come, lived a perfect life, and died to make atonement for our sins. If he was not standing in the Holy of Holies sitting next to God on his throne, making reparations for our sin, that that relationship would never be possible. The opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to live in ourselves is the hope that we have in Jesus. He is the anchor for our souls. And think about this. Think about the imagery. What does an anchor do? You ever seen pictures of these giant ships with anchors and they push a button, I guess it is, or pull a clutch and the anchors just fall out into the water? And what do the anchors do? They hold the ship in one place, right? It doesn't matter how hard the wind blows. It doesn't matter how turbulent the seas are. If the anchor is in the bedrock, if it is secured, the boat is going to stay where it is. And that's what Jesus is for us. Think about when you go through difficult times in your life. What is it that centers you? What is it that helps you to realize that everything's going to be okay? It's that anchor. It's that hope. It's the knowledge. It's the presence of Jesus inside of us that anchors us. Jesus is the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. And this is a message that the world needs. Think about where we are right now. Here we are in a fourth spike of COVID, and I'm not making this as a political statement. I'm saying that things are rough right now. We got people who are sick. We could very easily make a list of all the serious issues that we and others are facing on a daily basis. It wouldn't be hard to do. And the way that you and I are able to deal with those stresses, with those anxieties, is by anchoring our souls in Jesus, that when life gets crazy, we go back to the to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, God, life is nuts right now. Tell me what to do about it. Show me what to do. And there are people all around us who are being tossed by the waves of life, who are constantly afraid of what the next wave will be that's going to take them under the water. They're being blown around by the winds of opinions and uncertainties from one place to another, causing them to question everything and never really knowing what can be counted on and what is true. 
And we're tossed and we're blown about, but we have the hope and the security that comes from being anchored to the ocean floor. That when we hear those same things, they don't affect us the same way. Because we're anchored in a hope that is because of Jesus. And the world around us needs to hear that. I was thinking about this story this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. It's one we're familiar with, but it's from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Listen to this. He says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. That means water's coming in the boat. And when that happens, the boat begins to sink. He was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and the sea, and said, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. It's such a great metaphor. To think about the fact that we, our experiences are not unlike the people around us that don't know Jesus. We face the same stresses. We face the same anxieties. We face the same problems. But the difference in our lives and the difference in their lives is a God who can command the wind and the seas and cause them to stop. That's our anchor. Is that when life gets crazy, we can say, Jesus, I feel like I'm drowning. I need some help. And he does. Because we have that anchor as a hope. And our friends don't have that. The people that God has placed around our lives that, in our lives that don't know him, they don't understand that anchor. They can't understand the peace that we have. That when life is falling apart around us, that we feel okay. We might be stressed. We might be anxious. But not to the degree they are because we, we what? We know We know that at the end of the day, this is not the final word. You know, I was thinking about this morning when hurricanes Lauren Delta were blowing the trees down all around and on top of our house when we had two hurricanes last year. I was wishing that Jesus was there and walk out on the front porch and be like, stop. And that would have been pretty awesome, right? But that's not what happened. What happened was in two different storms, especially the last one was the most scary one, actually a tree fell on our house. There was still a piece in me that I, I still don't fully understand. But I know where it came from. It came from the fact that even though trees are crashing around us and it feels like the world's about to end and everybody's scared, myself included, we still have the hope that everything's going to be okay. Yes, we're going to have to repair our home, but it's okay. Most people don't have that. I'm sure you've had some experience like that in your life. And this, this story, these times in our lives when everything felt like it was falling apart and Jesus steps in and says, hey, I got you. Those are the stories that we need to share with those people who, who don't understand that, who don't know that. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day who um, is beginning, a, a, a beginning or is in is a better way to describe, a very serious relationship. And, and the, the two of them that are in this relationship are in that phase where all of a sudden you're having to relearn what it means to be a person, okay? Because here's what happens is 
for your whole life until you get in a serious relationship, what does the world revolve around? You, right? And then you get in this serious relationship and all of a sudden, all the rules have changed. And you volunteered for that, right? But now you have to always be thinking about this other person. And, and th- that's difficult to say the least, right? We probably all have some testimony about the difficulties we experienced at some point in our life trying to navigate that. And so we're, as we're talking about this, and they're talking about the decisions that they've had to make, I'm talking to just one side of one person, the other one wasn't there. I asked her, I said, are you asking God how to handle these things? She said, yes. I said, okay, great. When God gives you an answer, are you telling that person that God told you to do that? Or are you just saying, here's how we're going to do it? And she said, you know, I, I never really thought about that. I'm just saying this is what we should do. I said, think about that. You're robbing that person. You're hiding the very best part of you. Because the part of us that is becoming more and more like Christ is the best part of us. Let's make no mistake about that. And, and this person is hiding that from this other person that they are trying to figure out if they love and if they want to spend the rest of their lives together. And that had never crossed their mind. And I'll be honest, that was a new revelation for me. That was one of those times where the Holy Spirit speaks and you step back and go, whoa, that was brilliant. I'm pat myself on the back for that. But it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. But my question for us is how often do we do that in other relationships in our lives? The people that God, that we know God has put us in their life to teach them, to show them the truth about who Jesus really is. And in the course of conversations, it may not be intentional, but we're hiding the very best part of us. And as I talked with this person and I dug a little deeper to figure out why that might be, I think what it really boiled down to was fear of an awkward situation, of an awkward conversation. And, and I'm saying to them and I'm saying to you and I'm saying to me, for me personally, if I had to make a decision between having the peace, having the anchor of hope that is Jesus in my life, for me, if I had to make a decision between do I want this hope or do I want to not have an awkward conversation? Standing on this side of the fence, I know exactly which one I'm choosing. I want the hope. Because that momentary awkwardness that I'm fearing so much, momentary. Happens, it's gone. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about going out of our way to be overly obnoxious about the person of Jesus. I, I'll give you an example. There was a guy that I knew years ago who, I didn't plan this, it's just kind of popping out of my head. He would walk across a parking lot from the building he's in to the building you're about to walk into. He would run across the parking lot to open the door for you. And then he'd go back to the building that he was in. Sounds silly, right? Is anybody seeing the silliness in that? Y'all looking at me like I'm a blank wall. That's ignorant, right? It is. It made no sense for him to get up from his desk and run across the parking lot to open the door for you. And, he, and if you asked him why he's doing this, oh, I just want to love people. Okay, well, you're doing it in a really weird way, dude. Okay? Like, of all the things, it's just, it's, just, it's just a little bit strange. I'm not talking about doing things like that. I'm talking about when somebody comes in your office tomorrow morning and says, how was your weekend? If the Lord did something, tell them about it. A couple of, I don't remember what holiday it was. It was a recent one that was on a Monday. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, there's a guy that comes to my office every Monday morning. Hey, Will, how was your weekend? I'm like, oh, it's good, man. He's not a believer. He knows that I pastor a church. So, that, I mean, that, that part of the awkward is out of the way right off the bat. This particular weekend, 
he came in, we'd had that, that extra Monday, and he said, man, how was your weekend? Three-day weekend, it's a good weekend, huh? I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, Saturday and Sunday were pretty typical, and I was like, but dude, you know what? Monday was awesome. He's like, oh, what y'all do? I said, we didn't do nothing. He's like, really? Because he knows me, he knows my life. He's like, you, you, what do you mean you didn't do anything? I was like, I didn't do anything. I hung out with the kids, spent some time with the Lord, it was fantastic. He's like, well, y'all have plans canceled or something? <laughs> and I said, no, man. I just, I said, I, I honestly I had a conversation with my wife and said, we've been so busy. I really feel like the Lord just wants us to take a day off and just have a Sabbath, a whole day of just rest. And he was like, oh, okay. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I could have taken credit for that. I could have said, you know what, man, I've just been doing too much. I just needed a day off. And that would have been perfectly fine in terms of normal conversation. But instead of hiding the fact that God had spoken that, I just shared that with him. That's what I'm talking about. Is that when people ask questions about the decision you're making in your life, be honest, be open about why you're making that decision. And, I, and it will feel awkward the first couple of times you do that if that's not something you're accustomed to. But very quickly what's going to happen is because typically those people that God's called us to bless, we've already got some relational equity with them and they already know us. They know that we're believers. Last week, Mickey, in the recording that she shared, one of the things that I loved is she was talking with some family about a decision that she had made that the Lord had told her to do it. And what did they do? What was their response? You know what they asked? How did you know that God was speaking? That's Jesus going, let me open that door for you. Come on in. That's how that works. Is we're just honest with people about who Jesus is. We're honest with people about the relationship that we have with them. And sometimes that means being honest about the fact that, hey, I thought God was saying this and I missed it. But that's okay too. That authenticity brings so much value to the conversation. Because we're not trying to pretend to be something we're not. I'm messed up just like they're messed up. We're trying to figure this out together. But the difference in my life is I've been given a gift. I've been given an anchor. That when life gets nuts, I just grab a hold of that anchor. And he steadies me. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to help the people understand. Is that their life was rough. And they're trying to let go of the only thing that's anchoring them down. And he's saying, church, that is your hope is that God made a promise and he swore an oath by his own name that he would send a high priest that could enter the Holy of Holies and make atonement once and for all. That is the hope that we have. That's the hope that God is calling us to share with one another, to share with the people in our lives. Is that Jesus did all the work for us that Jesus has made a way for us to stand before the Lord just like we are and to be accepted by Him. Church, that's our call. That's our commission. Don't hide the best part of who you are from the people that God's called you to share with. Be intentional about your conversations. Be honest about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Don't hide the hope that you've been given. Share it with those in your life that need it just like you do. Let's pray together. Jesus, I am so thankful that you are my anchor, that you are my hope. God, I, I, I ask that you would give each and every one of us an opportunity this week, today, tomorrow, whatever day is, is right. Father, I ask that you would guide us into conversations where we can be honest about what you're doing in our lives, where we can share with people 
the hope that comes from having a steadfast anchor. Father, as we worship this evening, today, as we, as we wrap this thing up, God, I ask that you would speak into our hearts, point out the people in our lives that you want us to share this message with. God, give us the courage to just be honest about what's going on in our lives, to not fear the awkward conversations, but to embrace it. It's so worth it for our sake and for theirs. God, give us that courage. Give us that hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.